Welcome to the Business Chef Podcast, where we learn from the best about the business side of the food service industry. Do you make food? Then let us help you make money doing it. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food Make Money on Instagram or Facebook, or email us info at businesschef.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Business Chef Podcast. Again, thank you for joining us and thank you for being here with me. We have a little bit of a different show today, a show that is going to focus a little bit on uh, millennials and our younger generation dining. And of course, we have our good friend, Jim Matterin back, who is our younger generation specialist, who is very knowledgeable, um, always looking at trends for us, always trying to give us some ideas and thoughts on how we might improve our operations, which is great because we all need it. We all can improve at different times on different things. So without further ado, let's jump in and learn a little bit about some of the trends in college dining, some of the things that are unique about it, some of the things that people are doing to be on the cutting edge. We've also got our very good friend, Becky Schilling back, who is incredible and has a wealth of information on the subject. Sean, thank you for having me back. I'm really enjoying uh, following your podcast and the range of guests you've been broadcasting, but I just wanted to take a few moments out and give you an update. The younger millennials or the older Gen Z are college-bound or in college right now, and I saw some interesting statistics uh, published by uh, I believe it was either MPD or Data Essentials, but interesting, they were saying that 81% of the students on campus, and I'm sure parents are dying on this one, actually leave at the campus and eat out at least one time a week. Well, in all honesty, that doesn't surprise me at all with, uh, with all the options out there. So where are they going, though, when they dine out? One of the leading venues are QSRs, except if you dig down on the statistics, they don't feel that it's healthy or credible, but 56% indicated in the survey that they are eating out once a week, at least at fast casual restaurants, plus there's delivery. So the gist of the article I read is that even though these kids are on campus and supposedly purchase a meal plan, they're leaving campus, and some of the meal plans are designed where they can spend their dollars off-site in affiliated restaurants. So the advice is that operators should target college students that are in proximity of their locations. Oh, absolutely. And, and again, I 100% agree with you. I think... There's an interesting term. There's a term that I've heard mostly with college students or with this younger generation um, that I haven't heard a lot elsewhere. And I wonder if um, you know maybe there's any data in this that you can you can speak to about uh, this whole flexitarian movement or the the students or the people that identify themselves as flexitarians. I know in the article I alluded to in the beginning from uh, either NPD or Data Central said that 27% of st 
students claim to be flexitarians. So Becky, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to jump in here real quick and, and kind of give us a better understanding maybe of, um, of some of this. Obviously you do a lot in the college university space and, and you see a lot of things and hear a lot of things. So maybe help us understand what is a flexitarian? Sure. And it's interesting because this is a term that we first started hearing about maybe a decade or 15 years ago. And I feel like it's really kind of picking up steam right now. Um, Flexitarian to me means choice and it means um, being educated and wanting to take into account all of the things that are important to a specific diner. So whether that's the environment, whether it's your own personal health, whether it's some version of what the word health means to you, um, if that means not having um, animal meat or animal byproducts, if it means being plant-forward, all of those things are kind of what flexitarian means. And I think one of the reasons why we're hearing a lot of the flexitarian coming back up is because of plant-based dining and plant-forward dining. And Uh, I know when a lot of people hear plant-based dining, they think automatically vegan or vegetarian. And for some people, that's not necessarily true. It just means that plants are the majority of what your meal is, but there could still be some animal in that. Um, So I think that's a lot of why we're seeing uh, flexitarian kind of come back into, um, into terminology. All right. I want to spend a minute on this because I think it's important. So, knowing kind of a little bit about what these flexitarians are and knowing that they're out there and that there is a demand, what is it that our operators can do to really attract or retain or, uh, or cater to these flexitarians? Jim, what do you think? Yeah. So I look at that whole movement as something that operators need to recognize and need to develop menu items that provide that flexitarian experience. Um, I know we're seeing it with America's, one of America's favorite menu items, which are the plant-based burgers and substitution of regular burgers. As a matter of fact, I saw from a former client published a white paper that burgers have only beef burgers. Of the beef meat burgers have only grown 1%, but your plant-based burgers have grown 908% over the last three years, which is just off the charts. And I know that Impossible Foods keeps getting some press, and I saw recently since I last talked to you, I don't know, were you aware they're testing chicken nuggets uh, that are plant-based with KFC? Yeah, (laughs) I am, and I was... I was reading about how the lines were were around the corner and things, so I, you know, I definitely think there's a demand. And then one of the original uh, Morningstar Farm, uh, Morningstar Foods, which is owned by Kellogg's, just launched a, a line of plant-based burgers. Their rendition with the simulating the juices running out of the burger when you cook it, called Incognito. Uh, so we're seeing this influx in America's favorite staple. I have problems, and I think we discussed this off the record, that uh, if you are to look at the ingredient statement of some of these so-called meat substitutions, plant-based, 
the ingredient statement's really not there. And I have struggled because I feel that if somebody wants a, a non-meat meal and they're either doing it, Sean, because of dietary health reasons or they're doing it for the betterment of the planet, I feel that vegetarian or vegan food and cuisine has come so far. Why not just stick with vegetables like legumes and cauliflower done a lot of different ways and Brussels sprouts. Uh, Brussels sprouts for me are no longer frozen packaged. I mean, everybody has different signature ways of making Brussels sprouts. But there is that demand for flexitarian uh, in terms of incorporating it into the day-to-day diet or incorporating it into, you know, once or twice a week to save the planet. And I know at the beginning of the flexitarian movement when I was on campus, believe it or not, a third motivational factor for a lot of the younger group was that it was a better option that was being served as far as the protein is concerned, either a frozen fish fillet or a really tough, crappy piece of meat that tasted like shrew leather. So the flexitarian movement is definitely growing among the younger players. Becky, from your perspective, you know, maybe you can give us some examples of how how our operators out there are actually catering to this movement and some of the things they're they're doing. Sure. Um, a lot of colleges have done Meatless Mondays for, for forever, and um, they're really trying to expand on that now. And um, so many colleges do all you care to eat, and they have different dining concepts. And what a lot of them are doing is taking a concept and making it more plant-based or plant-forward because it is a really great marketing tool right now. And it's something that that college students in particular are really kind of uh, gleaning onto and looking for. So um, at Iowa State, they uh, recently had a Mediterranean concept that they um, called Heaping Plates. And they opened it in one of their new dining halls earlier this year, and it really offers their customers fresh, healthy options. But it really kind of is gearing towards those students who are looking for vegetarian meals. Um, it offers a customizable way so that you can pick kind of your your base. Um, if you want that to be leafy greens or a couscous or a pita, things along that line. Um, spreads, if you want a protein in there, um, sauces. The University of Wisconsin did the same thing in one of their concepts. They took an old ice cream concept of all things and they turned it again into a Mediterranean cuisine because Mediterranean is one of those things that really um, kind of lends itself to this flexitarian or plant-based dining lifestyle. Um, And they do the same kind of thing where there's a lot of customization where you can go through and choose your base and then choose your spread and your protein. Um, It's all really kind of based around this idea of health plant forward um, options so that those students can can meet um, whatever dining requirements it is that they're trying to meet. Absolutely. Flexitarians, it's not going away anytime soon. So we've We've got to find a way to cater to those individuals and those groups, definitely. So uh, having established that, Jim, let's jump back to you and, and talk about uh, some of the other points that you you and I had talked about. The second point that I found interesting, it was a point-counterpoint between uh, 
Nancy Cruz, who's a guru and one of her coworkers at Nations Restaurant News, is we tend to look at the digital natives as being totally dominated by technology, so they're into touchscreen ordering and they're enjoying the robot burger flippers and pizza makers, but in reality, they kind of want to get into the touchy-feely experience. And the big part of it being the DIY, the do-it-yourself in front of them, uh, they just crave the connectivity with somebody preparing something from scratch. And it's not only do it their way, but some of the personal touch is also addressing the fact that they're addressing dietary restrictions like allergen-free menu items or gluten-free menu items. So it's kind of interesting, but we just assume that, you know, just put a touch screen in front of the millennials or Gen Z and they're off and running. They don't care about the personal touch, but the opposite is actually surfacing now. They're so burnt out on technology that when it comes to mealtime, they love that interpersonal relationship. So I found that kind of interesting. You know, it really is very interesting because I think I'm in the same boat where I would naturally gravitate or think that... um, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these kids with their heads and their phones, um, and uh, and you know, people that that basically always have headphones in or are always around technology, love technology, or just inundated with technology. You would think that when it comes down to that that meal time, or you know, they they generally <laughs> they're generally kind of in that world. Um, you know, and, and not having a lot of interpersonal communication. And so I think it's very interesting that, you know, come, come mealtime or come time to eat that they want a little bit of that interaction when it comes to making their, making their things. That's really interesting. Um, but it definitely leads me to, um, there are, there are some different day parts and there are some different, uh, things with, with, you know, this generation dining and college dining where, a lot of it is non-traditional hours. You know, they, they're wanting to eat late at night. They're wanting delivery. So let's talk a little bit about that for a second. Um, do you, and Jim, I'll start with you. Jim, talk a little bit about delivery. Is delivery is delivery important on college campuses? Yes. I mean, you're absolutely right. It, it's on a campus-by-campus basis. I think the the ones that have been most successful are your independent operators. I'm not aware that the contract managed companies from Aramark and Sodexo has set up any university of delivery service. But in conjunction with that, Sean, I'm also aware that to really cater to the students' needs, they have uh, you can order in where. Uh, they have these services and pick it up on the way back from the library or from the gym. So they have really stepped up their to-go game uh, versus going and, you know, selecting out of a cabinet. The meal will be waiting for you to take back to your room. Uh, And again, uh, it's just the whole dining services has changed 
I mean, when I went to school, yes, we had to eat, but to me, there was a very social function. I don't know if dining services as social. I don't even know if they have food fights anymore, Sean. But that was one of the reasons we went down to the cafeteria to see who the latest food fighter would be. <laughs> who doesn't love a good food fight? Um <laughs> Becky, I'm interested to hear your take on on delivery and and uh, some of the things there. Yeah, so that example at Iowa State with the heaping plate, they put in kiosks so that students can go in and order. And it helps, again, with that customization because if I want X instead of Y, uh, it, it helps for the student to be able to put that in so that the dining services employee can see all of that and get it, it built for them. So kiosks are a great way to do that. Um, there are some dining services operations that are reaching out into actual delivery onto campus. Um, some have been successful. Some have not been successful. I spoke to uh, Boston University, and they tried it out last year. And it wasn't something that worked for their campus. But uh, Oregon State University has been doing it for several years, um, and it's been something that's been highly successful for them. Um, I say it all the time. I say if you're not thinking about delivery um, someone else will do it for you because that's one of the biggest trends that we're seeing in all of food service right now, not just in CNU, not just in on-site, but it's delivery because people want their food when they want it and they want it in a convenient way. And what's more convenient than having it brought right to you? So I think some of these things like having order kiosks so that you can even do mobile ordering or pre-order so that you can get your order when you want it so you can pick it up specifically at a station in a dining hall and not have to wait. All of these things are really kind of driven around that convenience aspect because a lot of students are grabbing something to eat before they're going to another class and they have to walk across campus. So it's not like they have a leisurely lunchtime in many cases where they can go into a dining hall and sit down and eat for an hour. Jim, what are some of your thoughts? At Boston College a long time ago, Pat Bando, I mean, she really was ahead of the curve, but she went in and uh, negotiated with several of the restaurants in proximity to campus and even downtown like Legal Seafoods in Boston where if they came in with their Eagle Bucks card, which was their meal plan and so many credit points, that uh, the restaurant would accept it. And it was a win for her in that uh, the students were happy, but also they would blow through the points on their card and they would have to reload the card, much to the chagrin of their parents. So one other thing which doesn't necessarily pertain to our younger generation, but I could see them jumping all over the concept. But in uh, smart fridges in the San Francisco Bay Area, there's a company that puts meals, everything from uh, meal kits to prepared meals to salads to sandwiches, etc., in a refrigerated unit in break rooms, so I'm thinking maybe study halls or or possibly in dorms. And uh, you basically go and you swipe your credit card and then you can look what's in there and take it out. And based on technology, it will register what was taken out of the refrigerator. And what I think is interesting, that means you don't waste time a, leaving the spot in which you're in, thus go to a restaurant or to the dining hall, and B, you don't have to worry about delivery. It's right there for you, and I'm 
I know that the Smart Fridge people are talking to Aaron Martin and Sodexo as we broadcast this podcast, but talking about convenience that I could see students jumping all over in the study halls or their uh, lounges in their dorms, etc. Ultra convenience, and they all have credit cards. I could see that Smart Fridge technology Potentially, could be a, another one of those competitive um, touch points as it relates to food away from home. Good stuff. Very good information. So, Jim, if people listen to this and they want to, they want to touch base with you. What's a good way for them to do that? Uh, the best way probably would be to email me at jim dot matterin n a t o r i n at gmail dot com. And that would be the best way, or feel free to reach out via phone. I'm one of those people that will get back to you. And 215-882-0765. That's 215-882-0765. And Becky, before we go, I've, I've got another question for you um, as pertains to some of these day parts and the different dining day parts. So what... What are you seeing out there as far as late night dining? Because I, I was a college student and I know what it's like. And when you're in your late teens, early twenties, that's kind of the the time that you keep is late night. Yeah, um, food trucks can be one, um, especially when you pair them with a athletic type venture on campus. If it's a big athletic school. So having a food truck that could be outside of a basketball stadium, a football stadium, um, something along those lines can help if it's a late night kind of option. Um, Food trucks can also be great if if you have a lot of kids that are congregating around, if you have a lot of um, um, residence halls in a specific area, um, that could be a great place to put some food trucks in because then it's it's relatively little um, overhead for that operation to run for a late night concept. Uh, delivery is one of those things. Oregon State does their delivery just at night. Um, they're not doing it throughout the day. They're doing it at night, and they're seeing a lot of good um, uh, success with that. Doing some smaller pared-down grab-and-go type operations at maybe retail uh, locations could is something else that um, dining operators are doing. I know I spoke to Ken Toon a couple of months ago, and he actually tried to close his – Ken Toon at UMass um, – tried to close his dining halls um, earlier, and the students fought back. And one of the reasons they fought back was because it's where they congregate. It's where they gather. It's a social thing. It's not just about eating. So I think that's another aspect that operators are trying to make sure that they accomplish is that it's not just about getting that sustenance and eating something, but it's about creating that community and creating opportunities for students to get together and gather. And so much of that happens around uh, food. There is another trend that we're seeing on college campuses, which not all of them want to take on, um, which is opening a campus pub, because a lot of students will go off-site to um, to local bars and pubs, and uh, some college operators are wanting to get a piece of that pie, so to speak. Um, it can be a little bit tricky making sure that um, you're only serving alcohol to those students who are of age. But it can also be a safety measure because then they're not driving anywhere and you can keep them on campus and it could be a little bit of a safer way um, for students to make sure that they um, can enjoy a beverage but not drive home. 
man, super, super interesting stuff that, man, I just, you never knew you were going to see things like this. So what do you think's next for college university dining? I, I think food halls are a big trend. We're seeing it in commercial spaces. Um, we're seeing a little bit of that moving into the B&I space. And it, it's almost a take on a traditional dining hall that has the different concepts. But I think it's something that we're going to see more and more of, and part of those food halls could be bringing in some of the outside commercial restaurants, um, improving some of those town-gown relationships if those need to be improved, um, but also getting a little bit of different dining options that could come in on campus because you have to remember these students are part of a larger community, and so um, they're seeing some things out there, and they may want some of those same types of dining experiences on campus. So I think food halls is something that we're going to see. I, I cannot stress enough delivery is so important because delivery on campus to your students, but even delivery off campus to your students because it's something they want. And if you're not providing that for them, then they're going to call a Domino's or a Seamless, someone else who will deliver to them. And so I think finding a way to do that and do it profitably is going to be something that college dining operations operators have to figure out. Amen to that. Well, as always, you're a rock star. Thank you so much for your for your time and insight today. Anytime I can help, just let me know. All right, guys. One of the things I want to really emphasize here with these college university programs um, is that they are becoming much more diverse. They're becoming, uh, they've always been big. They've always been semi-complicated, but they're only getting more so. Um, with all the different day parts, with the different uh, options that, that students are looking for, um, the, the various concepts that are being built to give some of that diversity. I mean, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of opportunity in this space. And so for those of you who are running these types of operations, yes, it's important to stay on top of trends. It's important to see what's going on out there, to see what students are gravitating towards and what they're going to want. But it's also very important to, uh, you know, do things that are going to continue to satisfy your customers, but, you know, be able to, to help you financially um, and keep you, keep you afloat there. It's interesting because, you know, there are so many uh, university hospitals out there that are uh, generally associated with hospitals and uh and healthcare sides of things and i think that you know in this circumstance what's good for the goose is good for the gander if you have a big university hospital if you have a big um student population there you have a lot of interns and residents and a lot of different uh moving parts there then a lot of what we've talked about with the college universities all can also apply to these these healthcare concepts and some of the things that they're able to do there. So just because we said college university, I also think that a lot of these lessons can apply to some of those those healthcare and hospital units out there. Anyway, thank you very much to Becky Schilling and to Jim Matterin for your insights, your time, your willingness to share uh, very, very valuable information. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got something from it. Hope it's something you can use to improve your current operations. We will see you next week.
Hey, thanks for sticking around. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, or anyone who's interested in making food and money. And when you get a second, give us a review. It really helps us get the word out as well as letting us know how we're doing. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food, Make Money on Instagram or Facebook. Or email us, info at businesschef.org.